welcome to the All Things Nintendo podcast. I'm Brian Shea from Game Informer, and this is a weekly podcast to discuss all the biggest news and games from the world of Nintendo. It is kind of a hangover week for news after the huge week last week. So outside of a smaller news story about Mario Party 3 coming to Switch Online, we don't have a lot of time-sensitive stuff to talk about. But since last week featured two new games from gaming's most iconic franchises, I want to take most of this episode to dive into the often intertwined history of the Mario and Sonic series. So joining me for that is uh, Mario and Sonic fan extraordinaire, Marcus Stewart. Marcus, how are you? I'm feeling really good. I'm ready to go fast and also eat a mushroom. Oh, well, which one is first? Uh, well, you probably want to go fast because if you go start by going fast, you'll get to the mushroom quicker. <laughs> okay, so you're not starting with both. You're not starting with the speed and the and the. Mushroom. I don't think my body can handle that. That's too okay. many transformations <laughs> at once. Yeah, it's like taking different medications at the same time. It's like you probably don't want to do that. If if you were Mario in real life, which I, as far as I know you're not, <laughs> what transformation would you want to experience? Which one do you think feels the the weirdest to transform? The weirdest. Like it's got to be. Yeah. Are we Mario, counting right? the Cappy stuff, or is that, does that oh, count? Oh God, because that's a I mean, lot. That's guess, a, yeah. yeah, I was gonna say like, oh, like, uh, do you remember Mario Odyssey when you started it? The first time you capture the the frog, there's they did like an extended like capture sequence where Mario's right. soul is like sucked into the frog. Like it looked terrifying. <laughs> it did. I'm wondering <laughs> if he experiences that every single time, and we just kind of get like the skip cutscene button, basically. Because I feel like the suits where he's literally wearing a suit, like the, the the raccoon suit, is just like, oh, he's got like onesie pajamas, basically. Like that probably yeah. doesn't feel like anything. But with the elephant, it's like, are his bones snapping and like contorting because he's like ballooning, basically? Does he feel yeah. pain and he if just doesn't you sell it? Watch that in slow motion. It's hundred percent body horror. Yeah, he's got a his nose just bleep, you know explodes into a big old trunk. <laughs> it's like it's he, but it's so quick that maybe we just can't perceive the agony that he's in. <laughs> but hey, he says "wowie zowie," which I agree. When I first saw Mario transform into an elephant in that uh, Nintendo Direct announcement trailer, that's probably an apt apt way of saying what was going through my mind. Wowie zowie. I can't, I, every time I hear that, and this is the wrestling fan of me, I keep thinking of Bray Wyatt, rest in peace, Bray. But like, that was his thing where he would say, uh, when he was doing the Firefly Funhouse was, uh, yowie wowie. Yowie wowie. So okay. like when I heard wowie zowie, it tripped me. I was like, did he just say yowie wowie? <laughs> Cause like this game, like they showed that not long after Bray passed away. So I was like, no way like this is this, yeah, right? like, Miyamoto big Bray Wyatt fan <laughs> which I, I don't, don't blame him but uh you know uh, now that we've started off with this tangent uh let's talk about Mario and Sonic what uh what is what was your history with kind of getting into Mario in terms of like the first time you experienced it? I know we've done first Nintendo game favorite Nintendo game with you a long time ago mm. but like what was kind of the first time you experienced Mario I mean, it was Super Mario Brothers on NES, you know, like, I guess a lot of people around like our age-ish. Um, mm -hmm. Like, it was the first video game I ever remember owning as a kid. So I always credited <clears throat> Nintendo and Mario as like the reason I I love games so much because, uh, you know, we had the the Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt combo cartridge. And so, yeah, when I was probably like three or four, something like that was when you we know, were playing it for the first time and just falling in love with that... Uh, that wild mushroom kingdom and all that stuff, you know? 
So this is basically going to read or listen a little bit like a uh, like a history lesson here, talking mm. about both the Mario and Sonic franchises and kind of how they've been two ships passing each other in the night. Sometimes one of them fires its cannons at the other one, but uh, oftentimes they're just kind of going alongside each other in a lot of different ways. And then sometimes they intersect as well, as we found out uh, with a couple of the games where it features both of them. So that's what we're going to be talking about, playing off the fact that we got two brand new games that have a lot of similarities between them just last week. So uh, let's start on the Mario side. That's why I asked you about your history with Mario a little bit. Uh, You know, it goes all the way back to 1980. Nintendo had a game in arcade cabinets called Radar Scope. Do you know anything about Radar Scope? I remember it. It was, uh, wasn't it like a pretty large cabinet? Uh, But it was like a, I don't want to say a shooter, but I mean, like a Space Invaders style. Space Invaders, yeah, because that was like, the hotness, like pretty much your arcade game wasn't worth a damn if it wasn't some sort of Space Invaders like <laughs> at that time. So it was one of the first games that Shigeru Miyamoto actually worked on. And uh, his first one, he was an artist for a game called Sheriff that Nintendo put out. And then this, I believe, is the second one that he worked on. He was also an artist for this. And uh, they had really high hopes for it, as you mentioned. Like Space Invaders was the hotness in arcades at the time. And uh, it flopped. Absolutely flopped. And Nintendo, as a result, went to Shigeru Miyamoto, who was 28 years old at the time, and uh, asked him to kind of rework some of the, the 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 computer boards for these arcade cabinets into something that would be better. And Shigeru Miyamoto looked at uh, the Popeye license, of all things, and drew inspiration from that. And he wanted to have Bluto, uh, Popeye, and Olive Oil as in kind of like this, like, triangular relationship where like Bluto would take olive oil and Popeye had to go rescue her. And ultimately they were unable to get the Popeye license. So he changed it into something where it's like, all right, well uh, we need like a big brutish character. Let's take it. Let's have it be a monkey. Nothing too, too imposing, nothing too like scary or dangerous for kids. Let's just have it be a monkey that takes, takes uh, this princess or this woman up and uh, this cool laid back guy has to go save her and uh that was ultimately what became of donkey kong uh he, he had mentioned that king kong was a a, a, a uh inspiration for it yeah, but thankfully uh, that didn't lead to any, any sort of legal issues down the line <laughs> well it did but um, <laughs> nintendo won so there right. you go there's a whole thing yes it is a whole thing um but you know the players were in control of jump man who uh, later became known as Mario, which uh, the rumor and the reporting behind that is that the reason that he's named Mario is because Nintendo of America had a warehouse and the landlord's name was Mario Segali Mm. or Segal. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it incorrectly. And apparently he barged in in a shareholders meeting or something to demand payment because they were like late on a a, a rent payment. (laughs) And uh, like... I don't know. He just became kind of notorious around there. So like they named, they, they started referring to the character in Donkey Kong as Mario. And then some certain promotional materials from Nintendo of America started referring to him as Mario. And then eventually it just became universally adopted. That character is Mario. So uh, that was Mario's first appearance. And then are they saying appeared- that Mario is a brood person? Like he bars in <laughs> on Donkey Kong's kidnapping well, fun? Maybe because his next appearance was as the antagonist of Donkey Kong Jr., 
Ah, yes. That's his only appearance as an antagonist. And then he got his own game in 1983, yeah. which was a single screen multiplayer platforming battle game called Mario Brothers. And, uh, you know, if you play through like Mario All-Stars or a lot of the really a lot of the uh, Game Boy Advance games have that like baked into the game itself, you can play this game. It's also, I think, in like multiple forms on hmm. Switch uh, eShop. Uh, but 1985 was the game that made Mario a household name, thanks to the Super Mario Brothers uh, original game that you mentioned before. And, uh, you know, we, we don't really have to go too in-depth into that. It established the 2D platforming genre as one of the prominent, if not the prominent, style of gaming at that time. And, uh, you know, shortly after Super Mario Brothers, Japan got Super Mario Brothers 2, which we in the United States know, know as the Lost Levels. Yeah. And then in 1988, the U.S. received its version of Super Mario Brothers 2, which was uh, Doki Doki Panic reskinned in the form of Mario. And uh, Japan received that later as Super Mario USA. And then that same year that Mario 2 came to the U.S., Japan, 1988, got Super Mario Brothers 3 which wouldn't come to the U.S. until 1990. So there we go. That's a brief rundown yeah. of where Mario was at that time. Uh, you did not mention The Wizard. I did not mention The Wizard. You're right. When uh, we first saw Mario 3. Red Savage, States. right? Uh, yeah, and uh, everyone else in there that you like. All the favorites are there. <laughs> I do love that, uh, that Fred Savage and Ben Savage monopolized my childhood. Randy Savage was big at that time, too. It was a relation there, though. <laughs> I'm saying it was a hot time to be a savage. That would be the ultimate revelation for my childhood. If like you told me, actually, no, Randy Savage is their father. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like, you know, Ben Savage and Ra uh, Randy Savage, Ben Savage and Fred Savage, you know, Boy Meets World and the Wonder Years, respectively. Yeah. What a what a dynasty. <laughs> the Savage Dynasty. Savage Dynasty, <laughs> which sounds like a, a name of a game, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so 1988, that was when Super Mario Brothers 3 was hitting Japan. Sega also put out the Mega Drive in uh, Japan, which came to the U.S. known as the Sega Genesis in 1989. And sales were actually really sluggish. Uh, Sega's original plan was to kind of port all of these arcade titles to the Genesis, which is funny because that also turned out to be their plan for the Dreamcast years down the line. So uh, they started porting all these arcade titles because Sega was doing a lot of arcade stuff back then. And uh, at that point, Nintendo didn't really consider Sega as a, a competitor because the sales just weren't there to compete with Nintendo, who, you know, ever since 1985 was just on the top of the gaming world, right? Like Mario was selling, Zelda was selling, all these things were just, Nintendo was the unrivaled claim to the throne. For and people, sorry, for people too young to, to know, like there was a, that was the period where every parent referred to video games as Nintendo, just colloquially. Yeah. Like no matter what it was, it was like, oh, you, you got the new Nintendo. It's like, this is a PlayStation mod. <laughs> that, that is how much like of the mind share that Nintendo had at that time. It's kind of like how somebody's like, hey, uh, I have a runny nose. Can you pass me the Kleenex? And it's like, yeah, yeah, this, this is actually off-brand Walmart tissue paper. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's not <laughs> tissue paper, facial yeah, tissue. great value. <laughs> great value. <laughs> Sam's choice. Uh, but so Sega's plan was to go right at Nintendo. And they had they developed an iconic ad campaign called Genesis Does What Nintendo Don't, which Marcus, you referenced right before we jumped on this this uh, call to record this podcast. Yeah, I remember seeing those commercials as a kid and like 
because I was definitely probably the perfect age for that style of marketing of like, oh, cool, which is like if you could sum those commercials up in one word, it was cool or at least attempting to be cool. Like radical, edgy. Yeah. Like they're taking it to the man with that. Look at them. It was edgy. It had attitude. It snark. I think most impressively, it went right at Nintendo, which Nintendo was always until this day. It still tries to position itself as kind of like. Hey, we're your friends. We we're the family friendly option. Yeah, we, your we your uncle you... works here. Exactly. Your uncle, your friend's uncle on the school bus works here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so it got some attention for Sega. It started like getting people being like, oh, that's interesting. Like they're just calling them out, literally using their name in the slogan for their console. Mm. And, uh, you know, it got some attention, but it didn't make Sega kind of the gaming juggernaut that they were hoping to become. So uh, then CEO Michael Katz was replaced by Tom Kalinske, who, if you've ever read Console Wars, well, one, you know a lot of the story, but two, you know his name very well. Uh, He was the Sega CEO starting from 1990. And uh, Sega president... Uh, How Nakayama, who uh, famously, uh, you know, approached Tom Kalinske on a beach while he was on vacation to ask him to come, like, help make Sega become, like, as great as it could be. What a weird movie setup, too. Like, (laughs) he sounds like an... A military guy getting the the like soldier out of retirement. <laughs> He's like, one more tour. We need you, Sam. We need you, Tom. Come one, back. One final mission. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so specific. So Nakayama identified that the problem wasn't that they weren't making good games. It was that they didn't have a mascot that people could associate with Sega and that could rival Mario. So it held an internal design contest to come up with a mascot for the company. And they said they wanted an emphasis on the American audience. So uh, at that time, programmer Yuji Naka, you might know his name as well. He had been creating a tech demo uh, while working with an artist named Naoto Oshima. And uh, the game was based on like kind of quickly speeding around loops and curves and uh, the character could uh, roll up into a ball. And the original idea that Oshima proposed was a rabbit. And it had the ability to grab items with its ears. And, uh, you know, that, that actually ended up being difficult for them to figure out how to make that work with the, uh, the Genesis hardware. So they decided to move on to a different animal and focus on that ability to roll into a ball. So they settled on a hedgehog ultimately. And the reason that they colored it the way that they did was they colored the hedgehog blue because that was Sega's uh, color. That was like in their logo. They colored it the same color as the logo to kind of be like, oh, this is Sega's mascot. And then they gave him shoes. <laughs> I read this in my research for this episode. Inspired by Michael Jackson's Bad, the mm. album cover, which, you know, the color scheme of that, he's just wearing like a, a white shirt and a leather jacket. It's not like he's it's he's not wearing the thriller jacket. So the reason for it, I'm imagining, is because the text that says bad is red and then the rest of the like the background is white. So I'm assuming they're like, oh, red and white. That's a kind of a cool, edgy color scheme. So let's do that to like have his shoes be that color. Yeah, that's a hell of a reach. But <laughs> yeah, whatever, you know, uh, real quick, an interesting ex- thought experiment is like you were, when you mentioned that Sonic was designed with like, look at America and like, give us the distillation of that, that 
what do you think Sonic would look like if that if he was created today? Because they were like, look at the oh, state gosh. of America in the early '90s. <laughs> so if you made if they said like more we like a- Shadow, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> complete with too many guns. Um, yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that's an interesting thought experiment of like redesign Sonic if he was created this year. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> man. Well. <laughs> thankfully we got what we got which here's the interesting thing i learned this while researching for this episode apparently sonic's personality was originally inspired by bill clinton known and cool guy i guess like they were like oh he has kind of like this can-do attitude at the time <clears throat> so they were like yeah let's let's put that on there like he has a positive upbeat can-do attitude because <laughs> it was like sega japan watching like clinton press conferences and they were like this guy <laughs> this guy gets it this the kids love this guy yeah so uh and then they're like yeah we, we got the president man we got the president in our corner how can we fail um but you know at the time mario was coming off of what was the best-selling video game ever at like and in that moment in super mario brothers 3 so sega really had to like you know, have its work cut out for it. And uh, here's a fun piece of trivia that I found is that like, we talked about how Mario, his first appearance was not in a game that he, he was the star of, right? Like Donkey Kong was the star of his first game. Sonic's first appearance was also in a game that he did not headline because there was a game called Radmobile and he was hmm. a hanging mirror ornament in 1991. It's a, it's a racing game. Mm-hmm. And if you're driving, there's like a, a, a hanging from the, the rear view mirror is a Sonic ornament. And that came out five months before the original Sonic the Hedgehog. Interesting. I did not know that. Fun little trivia. Again, like kind of playing off the, the theme of this episode, which is kind of the intertwined nature of these franchises. They both first appeared in a game that did not have their name in the title. I like that it's still a game that requires you to go fast, though. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Well, I mean, hey, Mario had to jump over obstacles and climb things and save the, I don't know if she was princess, but like she's had to save a uh, a damsel in distress. So that was kind of like a defining trait for him as well. Yeah. Though I don't know if the hammer ever made its way to a, a mainline Mario game. Uh, it went to his enemies. <laughs> That's true. The hammer bros. <laughs> they, had to, they, they lost that in the divorce with Donkey Kong. It's like, uh. all right, well, <laughs> the bad guys have to get something in this split. Uh, but so Sonic actually went on to become the best-selling game of 1991. So he did have some success, but this was just in the United States, uh, which is pretty massive considering Super Mario World also came out in 1991. Yeah. So that, that's pretty huge. I mean, I'm assuming that part of that is that the Genesis had been out for a few years at that time. So maybe it had a larger install base. I know there was a lot of controversy when Super Nintendo came out that like parents were like, this is a scam to make us have to buy new hardware to like upgrade. Like if you watch news stories, like news programs from back then, like oh, yeah. parents were outraged that there was a new piece of hardware that came out. It wouldn't play your old games. And if you wanted to play the new ones, you had to buy this more expensive. They're like, why can't you just have it on the old Nintendo? I love that. I'll, I'll rewatch some of those commercials every few years. Cause it's such a, um, cause it's something that's just, that's just how video games work. Like the industry, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, if you weren't there, it sounds so alien, the idea of like, why are they so mad about this? This is just how it was. But it's like, it wasn't back then. It was, yeah, yeah. That's, this was all new. Like now we're conditioned to like, oh, you get a new iPhone every year or you get like every seven years, a new game console comes out. But it's yeah, like, like backwards compatibility is like a, a courtesy at this point. <laughs> exactly. I remember my uh, 
I think I may have told this story, but like my dad, I remember when the Xbox 360 came out, I was home from college and I was playing uh, one of the forts, the early Forza Motorsport games on my original Xbox. And I was talking about how I wanted the Xbox 360 and my dad looked at Forza Motorsport 2 on the original Xbox, which, by the way, racing games always look amazing. So it's like I understand where he's coming from, but he was like, why would you ever need anything that looks better than this? And, you know, as somebody who I used to play SNES with, I understand where he's coming from. Right. But at the same time, like, it's kind of one of those holdovers from like, you know, now it's like when the Xbox One went to the Xbox Series X and it's like, you and I were like, whoa, this is kind of a huge jump. But like, I can understand how the untrained eye would be like, yeah, it looks better, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, you want me to pay $500 for this rectangle? Exactly. <laughs> this giant thing that doesn't even fit in my stupid entertainment center. But, uh... You know, the uh, I think that that period, 1991, when Sonic the Hedgehog 1 came out and Super Mario World came out, that was really when the rivalry of officially kicked off, right? Because Sonic mm. had actually beaten Mario, at least in the US, in that. So that was like when the rivalry really kicked off. Sonic 2 came out a year later, also extremely successful. And we didn't get another mainline Mario game until Yoshi's Island in 1995. Yeah, this so, is where it, it kind of became the... The sort of gap between big Mario games kind of started. Yeah, because like like I mentioned in the beginning part of here, the late 80s had three Mario games. Yeah. Kind of back to back to back. And it was a while before we got another Mario game, uh, 1995. And then uh, Sonic became really popular in that period. Uh, some people said more popular. Like if you base it on Q rating, Sonic had one of the highest Q ratings, which, you know, it measures kind of a character or brand's recognizability among the general public and uh at one point sonic had a higher q rating than mickey mouse or mario i mean at that time that's when i was like full-on genesis kid mm -hmm. like you know i grew up like i said with nes and an snes but when i got my genesis like i said it was the perfect age to buy into that marketing because that was like the first time I, it had been pointed out that mario wasn't cool like mario the character wasn't cool <laughs> we're like oh the games are fun but I, yeah, I guess I would never want to be Mario because he's just like a middle-aged mustache man, plumber. But like this guy, Sonic, he's like, he's got it going on. He runs fast. He looks cool. He he does, he taps his toe at you and he, you don't do anything for a while. And he, he introduced me to Chili Dogs where I was like, I actually want to be Sonic. <laughs> and I think that's better. <laughs> I mean, hey, like they did a great job marketing to the era, right? Like everybody was like trying to get like, Oh, it's radical. It's like, you know, Ninja Turtles were huge, at, like right before that. So like Rana's Nevermind came out the year that Sonic came out. <laughs> we were we were all little kids listening to Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I am Sonic, shocked, right? I'm shocked that uh, Sonic did not have flannel at any point. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, he did have a band later on, but he did. Have, well, he had a band at the start, like before before Sonic became the Sonic that we knew in the original Sonic the Hedgehog, he had a rock band. And he had a human girlfriend, which is funny because they eventually brought that idea back, even yeah. though like early 90s Sega knew that was a bad idea. But uh, apparently mid 2000s Sonic team did not know that was a bad idea. Well, honestly, I think the difference, though, was that it was Sega Japan that thought the girl they always thought the girlfriend was a bad idea. And it was Sega America that was like, no. So it makes sense that because they did Sonic 06 and they were like, no, we still think we'll show them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so like technically they always thought it was a good idea. <laughs> so uh, in this era, even though there wasn't like a new Mario game coming out, Nintendo was really 
cutthroat with their business practices. And uh, in the early or late 80s, early 90s, they essentially tried to monopolize the cartridge manufacturing industry, like with certain chips, would they would try to like buy up all of them. And then uh, they would also try to monopolize the retail real estate, making sure that its products were prioritized over its competitors. Mm. And uh, I, I, so we're going to start peppering in some quotes that I've had. I've talked to people mm. from Nintendo and Sega uh, from that era about this whole situation. So we're going to be it's not just going to be me parroting back uh, history lessons that you've heard before. So Tom Kalinske, I got to meet with him back in 2016. And then uh, that was at a bar in in a hotel bar, actually, in San Diego. And uh, then got to talk to him again over Zoom as part of our 2021 Sonic Frontiers cover story. And he had a quote here that uh, he said, quote, they were absolutely ruthless. I've got to hand it to them. I respected how strongly they tried to control the business. But in my opinion, a lot of stuff they were doing was illegal. It was really monopolistic practices. So he was uh, he was actually on the front lines of trying to basically kick in the door, not get a foot in the door in the gaming industry. He was trying to kick in the door for Sega. And he was. it sounds like it was just an uphill battle. Like everything he tried, Nintendo would just block. And like they would, like I said, they would try to strike deals with the, the, the chip manufacturers and be like, oh, well, we are only going to we're going to buy so many that they can only, they can only satisfy our, our orders, nobody else's. And like the, the actual yeah. plastic casing of the cartridges, I've heard that they tried to monopolize that as well. And uh, that ended up being a huge battle for Sega to fight. Yeah. I mean, this was the era where like they have the, the lockout technology or whatever, where like third parties could only yeah, develop like a certain number of games per year. And it was like, like he's not, He's not wrong in what he was saying in terms of like Nintendo. Again, this was before like the industry was so young that there weren't really rules or standards. Kind of, you just kind of did stuff, and if you're big enough, you get away with it. But at the time, Nintendo, like I said, Nintendo kind of had free reign to be like, yeah, actually, we can we can do it this way because where else are you gonna go? <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Nintendo was the top dog, so it's like people wanted to have exclusive deals with them because if they if Nintendo wanted an exclusive deal with you and you said no, maybe they'd get upset. Maybe yeah. they would not want to do business with you at all. And then what are you, you're stuck with either Atari who is kind of still trying to flail its way in the industry after the 83 crash and uh, Sega. And like, there were a couple of other like smaller time competitors, but like they were nowhere near the the level of Nintendo. So obviously the, the manufacturers, the retailers, they all wanted to be on Nintendo's good side. So, I, uh, another person I spoke to on this topic was Takashi Azuka, who uh, is the head of Sonic Team now, but he had just joined Sonic Team around this time. Uh, he was the lead designer on Sonic 3. And even though they were kind of experiencing success in that rivalry, he said that they were still kind of measuring themselves against Mario and Nintendo. So here's his quote. He said, in that time, Super Mario Brothers and the whole Mario franchise was the best game out there in a lot of people's eyes, especially when you get into action and platforming. There were so many fans of the Mario series, and then we came out with Sonic, who was this character that was cooler, had this visual style where he was bright blue, he played faster, the controls were better. It was a tighter game. So he was still pretty like happy with the way that it was that, that the team was positioned against it, but they were still like kind of looking over the fence, like, oh, what's Mario doing? Like, how are we doing against Mario? And uh, something else that kind of intertwines these franchises <clears throat> together is at that time, the merchandising and licensing 
was exploding for both of these franchises. So both of them had multiple cartoons. You may recall there was a Mario 3 cartoon. There was the Mario World cartoon. Uh, there was just like the, the the Deke Super Mario Brothers with uh, the the Do the Mario uh, song. Yeah. <laughs> Captain Lou Albano. Yes. Um, they both had Happy Meal toys, uh, the other toy lines. Uh, Sonic is famous for having just a really long-running comic stretch with Archie comics, but Mario also had some some limited comic runs as well. Uh, they both also had a ton of spin-offs around this time. Mario Paint, Mario Kart, uh, Sonic Spinball, Sonic Drift, uh, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. Those are all ones that people had uh, other ways to engage with these platforming franchises. Did you have a favorite spin-off from these franchises? Uh, I mean, Mario Kart from Mario I mean- yeah, well saying. Uh, Sonic, Sonic. I feel like a lot of I didn't like the probably Mean Bean Machine actually. That's I feel like I, I didn't really like. I mean, Spinball's fun. Uh, 3D Blast. Like, is that a spinoff or is that just a different uh, kind of platformer? I think that's a different kind of. That was them experimenting with the formula. Yeah. By the way, Sonic Spinball. I will die on this hill. The Game Gear version is better than the Genesis version. Okay, I've never played the Game Gear version. The Genesis version. I had a Game Gear, but uh, the Genesis version kind of plays like crap. Okay, <laughs> Especially, I think I liked it at the time, but I wasn't like a huge pinball kid or expert, so I was just like, "Oh, this is all right." But Mean Bean Machine, I, I is really fun. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just Puyo Puyo reskinned. See, I didn't, I didn't know that, Brian. <laughs> I was like, whoa, what an invent. This is almost like Tetris. Who invented this? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Sonic kept pace with Mario through 1994 with Sonic 3 and Sonic and & Knuckles. And then 1996 rolled around, though. And basically the paradigm shifted entirely because the N64 came out. And uh, in 1995, Sega had surprise launched the Sega Saturn to try to beat the PlayStation 1 to market. And uh, things, were not, things were not going great, <laughs> to be blunt. Uh, so you may remember that it was in 1995, E3, Tom Kalinske had to get up and say, it's available now. Mm-hmm. And basically, that was a surprise to everybody. And that was kind of a panic move. Sega of Japan told Sega of America, we want to beat the PlayStation 1 to market because all the forecasts were saying the PS1 was going to blow Sega, Sega Saturn out of the water. And rather than waiting for a launch lineup that they wanted to have, they were like, and like securing retail space and everything. And I was ta- and talking to Tom Kalinske. This is one of the major factors that led to him leaving Sega in 1996. Right. Was they made him get up on that stage and say, Sega Saturn, it's coming out like right now. Retailers had no heads up. Nobody knew at all. There was, I mean, there was, the internet was in such like a, a fledgling state at that point that like, you couldn't just go on and be like, oh, I'm going to order this off Amazon now. No, you you had to go to a store and people would go to stores and be like, hey, they said it's out now or out this Saturday or whatever. Yeah. And they were like, well, we haven't gotten any shipment. We haven't done it. It's like, what a botched way of launching that. And it ended up biting them in the butt because, you know, they didn't have the games secured. They didn't have the retail space secured. So many games that were in development just never came out. So it was a it was a debacle. I think that whole thing, and I think one thing that gets lost when you talk about Sega at this time that a lot of people don't know, unless you read that Console Wars book or just looked into it, is that Sega of America and Sega of Japan were so at odds with each other on so many different decisions. Uh, where they were almost, it almost felt like sometimes Sega Japan would almost do things despite Sega of America because of how successful they were with like because a lot of Sonic's biggest successes were 
a result of America's marketing. Mm-hmm. And they would push back on ideas that J- the Japan office had about, well, we don't know if that's actually a good idea for Sonic. And the, the like you mentioned, the Saturn launch was a Japan thing that the America team was like, they they knew it was a bad idea. <laughs> but, you know, they what could they do? They're just like, well, I guess this is the, the call from above. So we'll see how this goes. But like, I, I think it's worth noting that half of Sega knew that it was like a bad idea, basically. Yeah. And like talking to Tom Kalinske, he was, he knew it was a bad idea going in, but like there, what could he do? His bosses were telling him he had to go up on stage and say this thing. And then he ultimately, it was one of the major factors to him leaving it like less than a year later. Yeah. <clears throat> did, you ever, did you ever have Saturn by the way? I never no, did. But I remember playing it. My uncle had a Saturn and I was over at my grandparents' house and he had it. And I remember playing Daytona USA on it and Panzer Dragoon and being like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Okay. And then a year later, the Nintendo 64 came out. <laughs> Mario 64 ushered in 3D gaming with one of the greatest 3D platformers of all time. And I was like, oh, well, this is better. <laughs> like, yeah, I, it's funny, You mentioned like, the internet being thing. I remember the Saturn because I did not... You know, as a kid with no internet and stuff, I had no idea that it existed until I started hearing kids at school talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I, for the longest time, it was this mythical thing where, like, there's another Sega console out after yeah. the Genesis that I I only hear, hear by name. And it wasn't until I went to a friend's house that had one that it was like, okay, this is a this is real. Like somebody I know has this. And I was like, when did this come out? And da, 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 da. it was like the Saturn was just such a weird blank spot because again. They just threw it out there without like with little to no marketing, basically. And I was like, I was a diehard like Sonic comic reader. Like I would go to the comic store every single week and I'd pick up the Sonic uh, issue at least, right? Like or whatever frequency it was coming out. I would pick up the Sonic issue and I would pick up like every once in a while, I'd pick up like an X-Men or a Spider-Man or something like that. But Sonic was the one that was I was going to get, right? Mm. And they were marketing all the stuff. I remember like Sega CD and I remember... Sega 32X. I really wanted a 32X because I wanted to play Knuckles Chaotix. And I'm glad I never saved up enough money to get it because I didn't have a Sega CD, so it wouldn't have even worked. Hmm. And uh, Sega Saturn, I remember like seeing the the marketing for that in those comics because they would always use it as like synergy for like marketing for stuff and being like, I don't know if I need this. There's no Sonic game. And that was the big thing. Like there was no Sonic game on the Sega Saturn. There was Sonic Jam, which was just a compilation of the Genesis games and then there was like a small 3D area you could run around that was basically a tech demo for how a 3D Sonic game could work. And there was a game called Sonic Extreme that was in development, but it never came out for you know a ton of reasons. Um, most notably, just development would just cop- constantly shifted over and over and over again and became like just this unwieldy thing. And then by the time development was making any kind of progress... Mario 64 was revolutionizing gaming and 1998, the Saturn was discontinued. So it was like, all right, well, let's just cancel this thing. And they did. And I mean, it ended up being uh, just a complete disaster, the Sega Saturn. And that was really when Mario started kind of pulling ahead because there was no Saturn Sonic game. And meanwhile, Mario 64 was just one of the most important video games of all time. Yep. Uh, So Sega started focusing its efforts on its next console. So 1998, the Dreamcast launched in Japan, and then it came to the U.S. a a year later. And Sonic Adventure served as uh, Sonic's big re-entry into gaming and uh, also his entry point into 3D for the most part. I mean, you talk about Sonic Blast. You can talk about 
Sonic Jam's like open area running around gameplay sequences. But Sonic Adventure is the real first 3D Sonic game. And it ended up serving as the highest selling game on Dreamcast. And Mario was kind of in this weird in-between spot, as you mentioned. Like this is like we started seeing longer and longer gaps between Mario games. We went from 1996 to 2002 without a Mario game. So Sonic was kind of owning the rivalry at this point. Uh, Sonic Adventure was a pretty big success. Mario was still a few years away from his next 3D game. And uh, then Sonic Adventure 2 was about to come out in 2001. So people were like, hey, we're going to get two Sonic games, two 3D Sonic games in the space between these Mario games. But just months before Sonic Adventure 2 came out, like Sega, uh, Sonic fans were feeling pretty good about this. And then Sega announced it was discontinuing the Dreamcast and stopping its hardware business altogether. So Sonic Adventure 2 still came out on Dreamcast and did pretty well. But by then, I think a lot of people were starting to move on. So what was your experience with the Dreamcast and the Sonic Adventure games? So I never owned a Dreamcast. And I, from what I can remember, the first time I ever saw one was I, I, was, I was in a church at a time that had uh, maybe the, not even maybe, the nicest Sunday school I've ever been part of, where it was basically, they had a lobby where before service, it was an arcade where they had like rows of televisions and like all the current consoles plugged in, like they had PlayStation 1s, N64s, and they had a Dreamcast. It was like the first time I'd ever gotten to play a Dreamcast was there. And they had like Sonic Adventure and maybe like Crazy Taxi and some other stuff. But probably like a, like a lot of kids and especially Sonic fans at the time, the first time you see Sonic Adventure, you're like blown away. That opening level, he's running away from the whale. And I was like, oh my God, they, they did it. Um, <laughs> and so like that was like playing that uh, before church every week was kind of my first bit before a, a friend of mine got one and then I could just go to him. <laughs> but yeah, I never owned one myself. Yeah, I, I, I do remember you telling that uh, that Sunday school story and like trying to picture that in my head because that sounds unbelievable. They had <laughs> four Daytona USA cabinets and we would race what? each other. Yeah, like line. I this shirt, had, <laughs> this was like a more or less mini Vatican is what I called it because they had so much land. And like it was all these different buildings that were all part of the same church. Like they had a dedicated like Bible study building. They had like a cafeteria and it grew over the years. But like it was like huge. And I was I like, how I would do you see get the that. money for this? I think I would see that. And two things would come to mind. One, this church should absolutely be paying taxes. And two, yes. <laughs> I don't know that I, they need to pass around that offering plate so frequently. <laughs> they did it every week, but I was like, you know what? If it gets another copy of, uh, I don't know, Crash Team Racing in here, I will give you my dollar. <laughs> That's where my mind was. Like, hey, let's, that, maybe that... let's put another TV in here. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, around this time, Sega was getting out of the hardware business, and I've seen like uh, – um, videos of like Sega developers breaking it. Uh, Mizuguchi, who did like Space Channel 5, there's a, a video that you can actually see him telling the the team, his, his development team, like, hey, Sega is stopping the production of the Dreamcast and they are, uh, they're going to actually go to becoming a third party developer. And I, oh, I wish I had the quote here because I actually did ask uh, Mizuguchi um let me see if I can bring it up here. Uh, 
Nope, can't. So uh, <laughs> trying to do a real quick Google right there. We've mm-hmm. done a lot of stuff with him, but uh, I did get a quote from Yuji Naka in my notes uh, when I when I interviewed him. He said, "quote It's very sad that Sega's hardware business was canceled, but this allowed Sega or this allowed Sonic to run over a variety of different platforms. This made it so more people were able to play and enjoy Sonic games than ever. So it actually seemed like." Uh, the developers of Sonic were actually pretty stoked that Sega was not going to be like an exclusive hardware partner for their games. And uh, Izuka, Takashi Izuka also told me that he immediately started petitioning, petitioning Sega to get Sonic on Nintendo platforms, like immediately. So he said, quote, from my perspective, yeah, the companies may have been at war from a promotional standpoint. There was a lot of rivalry being created as hardware manufacturers, you're always out there competing against everyone else in the marketplace. But for me, I was just out there to make the greatest games possible and bring them to as many people as possible. It's wild that 2001 was the <clears throat> 2001 was the year that like two of the defining rivalries of my childhood ended because Sega and Nintendo ended, and then WWE versus WCW ended because that's when they bought WCW. Oh God, <laughs> so, like, wow! So two of the wars that I grew up of like, yeah, you got to pick a side. They're both done that same year <laughs> yeah i mean hey what better way to end the 90s than a year too late <laughs> <laughs> uh so the big surprise for everybody who wasn't like finger on the pulse like behind the scenes uh the people who lived through the 90s console wars saw sonic adventure 2 announced for gamecube and then what? everyone's brains exploded what a like yeah it shattered my dumb teenage brain i remember Same. that being like, I need to buy this because I need to own the first Sonic game on a Nintendo console. And I know Sonic Advance, I think, came out on Game Boy Advance prior to Sonic Adventure 2 Battle coming out to GameCube. But it was a pretty quick turnaround. And uh, that ended up being the way that most people, I think, played Sonic Adventure 2. And uh, so Sonic Adventure 2 Battle actually ended up selling just under 2 million copies on GameCube. And it was it ended up being the 14th best-selling game on that console. Yeah. So I think that that ended up, I mean, I think a lot of people still like, like when they talk about Sonic Adventure 2, they think of Sonic Adventure 2 Battle, which just had, you know, a little bit better graphics and uh, some new modes and everything. Was, uh, is Sonic Adventure 2 Battle after the DX version of Sonic Adventure 2? No, that was a weird thing because they brought Sonic Adventure 2 Battle to GameCube because it was the like game that just came out. And it's kind of like how Shenmue 2 came out on Dreamcast in Japan but by the time it came to the U.S., the Dreamcast was just completely obsolete. So they're like, well, let's put Shenmue 2 on Xbox instead. And that was one of the reasons I actually got an original Xbox was because <laughs> Halo 2 didn't come to PC and Shenmue 2 didn't come to Dreamcast. So I was like, all right, well, I need to get an Xbox so I can play Shenmue 2, which I never ended up finishing because I got like 10 hours in and my save file got corrupted. So I was like, well, I guess that's a game I'm never playing. Huh. And uh, yeah, so... I think it was one of those situations where like, well, we just put this game out. We should put it out on another system since this system we put it out on is dead. So eventually Sonic Adventure DX, which again, just slightly reworked graphics and uh, some additional content came to GameCube as well. But it is actually released in reverse order. Adventure 2 came out first, then Adventure 1 on GameCube. Gotcha. But less than a year later... Mario Sunshine came out, which uh, sold more copies than Sonic Adventure 2 Battle by a lot, uh, just over 6 million units, and it ended up being the third best-selling GameCube game of all time. And uh, it was interesting because around this time, Sonic 
started becoming a, a series that I think a lot of people started associating with Nintendo, even though a lot of the games also <laughs> appeared on PlayStation and Xbox. But like, it seemed like Nintendo consoles were where you wanted to play these Sonic games. So much so that Nintendo actually created an exclusive deal with Sega to release certain titles. So they had exclusives for Game Boy Advance, Wii, and Wii U. And, uh, you know, it started, it was this partnership. And uh, Tom Kalinske told me that he was really shocked the first time he saw Sonic on a Nintendo console. And uh, here's his quote. He said, I about fell over to tell you the truth. I still have trouble with this concept of this company that was our enemy that we fought tooth and nail against. And now they're buddies. They're very close and have a very close relationship. And uh, it, it's just interesting that like this bad blood has persisted over the years. I mean, that was a decade later that we were getting like these exclusives for Wii and Wii U. Uh, I guess even longer than a decade later for Wii U. But like, you know, it was almost a decade later after Tom had even left Sega that this happened. But he was still kind of holding this like this grudge against Nintendo and like kind of like this this like, oh, screw those guys. But um so that was, unfortunately, around this time, Sonic started going through the roughest patch in franchise history. So we got Sonic 06, Sonic 4, and the Sonic Boom games over that next decade. I would say it started probably with Shadow even before that. Yeah, that's fair. You know. But, like, I feel like Sonic 06 was really the, like, oh, yeah, this franchise is in trouble. Yeah, because it was on a decline, so to speak, and in the sense that it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't as prominent as it once was. But it was like, oh, they're still, they're still cranking those out. Like Sonic Heroes is all right. You know, yeah. it's, it's all I right. think a lot of people looked at Shadow as like, oh, they just wanted to like put out like a weird spinoff game with one of the, their popular new characters. We'll forgive them for it not being great. And then Sonic 06 was like, they were like, this is the big celebration of the anniversary of Sonic. It's been 15 years since this character came out. I was so excited for that game. Was that, that that marketing got me like all oh, ever like I'm calling it Sonic the Hedgehog. That and it had the Wolf Mother song on the the trailer. <laughs> I remember that being so cool. But uh, you know, it wasn't all bad for Sonic at that time because we also got Generations and Colors. Um, but I think those were really overshadowed by the really bad games from that stretch. Also, Unleashed was half good. The daytime stages I mean, of that game is, were really great. I mean, this is where the Sonic cycle began. It was. Yeah, that was when the meme of the Sonic cycle started. Um, but <laughs> during that stretch, the rivalry was really kind of one-sided because Mario got the new Super Mario Brothers games. All of them fit into that decade yeah. stretch. I mean, it's uh, not even a rivalry uh, at this point. It's like, you can't be a rival if you're like, you're part of the team to an extent. It was really like know? when, well, I mean, it was kind of a rivalry because it was still like two different systems, right? Like, or uh, two different franchises. Yeah, it's, I mean, it wasn't. It was like it was like you don't even have a, a a base anymore in terms of a console, and then also our games are just so much better at this point that it's it was like, like when a when a sports what? team like really owns a rivalry and the crowd starts chanting in the rivalry game, "Not our rival." You know, that's, it's like when that's a w bad one. It's like when WWE tried to split their brands of like, we'll have separate rosters for Raw and SmackDown because we have to make our own competition now because we don't have any. <laughs> yeah. And they kept playing it up like, yeah, Raw and SmackDown. But it's like, you're all WWE. No one buys it. This is a rivalry. <laughs> yeah. So in that stretch, Mario got four new Super Mario Brothers games, two Mario Galaxy games, Super Mario 3D Land, Super Mario 3D World, and Super Mario <laughs> Run. 
So that was a bad period for uh, the Sonic franchise when compared to its old rival. Yeah. And uh, something unexpected kind of started happening around that time, though, that really gets to the, the meat of what we're talking about here. Because just before he left Sega in 2006 to found his own studio, Yuji Naka pitched an idea to Nintendo and Sega higher ups about getting Mario and Sonic in a game together. And Nintendo and Sega started looking at ways to make that idea happen. And I actually, I remember in uh, it was either 2016 or 2017, I think it was 2017, I got a chance to ask Shigeru Miyamoto one question at the end of an interview that uh, Ben Reeves was hosting. It probably was 2016, actually, because I think it was about uh, Breath of the Wild. And they're like, yeah, all right, we have time for one more question. And unexpectedly, I was just kind of along for the ride on this interview. Ben looks over at me and he goes, do you have a question for uh, Shigeru Miyamoto? And I was like, well, thanks for the heads up, Ben. And (laughs) (laughs) I was working on a piece about Sonic at the time. And I asked him his thoughts on when Sonic and Mario came together in a game for the first time and what the process was like for that. And here's what he had to say. He said, quote, I always thought it would be great to have Sonic and Mario in the same game. But if you put them in an action game, the feeling of speed is very different. So it wouldn't have worked. So... I uh, then followed that up talking to Takashi Azuka about it. And he said, quote, I started this conversation with Nintendo. And then later when Sega picked up the license for the Olympic Games video games, we had that foundation with Nintendo to say, quote, we wanted to bring Sonic and Mario together and we have and have them appear in the same world and have them compete against each other. And we're going to use the premise of it being the Olympic Games. And these characters are participating in the Olympic Games together to make that happen. It was the first great conversation about these characters together to compete and have fun together. So, I mean, that was kind of, and I I was even like, oh, that's kind of a cool idea because, you know, the Olympics are all about people coming from different parts of the world together to in like the spirit of competition. And that really makes sense in the context of these franchises of like, oh, well, Sonic comes from his world to represent like Sonic and his friends represent their world and Mario and his friends represent their world. And they're longtime competitors, they're rivals, and now they're actually competing. And that that actually, there's something poetic about that in terms of like that being the first game that they appeared together um, in in the same game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even that that first Olympic Games, I remember seeing that, and still, even that many years after the rivalry had, at least in my mind, ended, it was still so bizarre because that was the first time they had actually been in a game together. It's like, okay, I've I've already finally gotten over seeing Sonic on other platforms and on Nintendo stuff, but to see them on the same box, I'm like, I almost wanted to buy it just for that. I'd be like, this is, this is not what I grew up (laughs) ever thinking I would see. (laughs) I still remember the first time I like opened up my Wii U and I was like, Oh man, what would be the most sacrilegious thing to do with (laughs) this, this Wii U gamepad? And what I did was I fired up the YouTube app and on the Wii U gamepad, I watched the Genesis does what Nintendo don't add. <laughs> Just be like, ha, huh, it's a Nintendo thing. Watch, like, watching this thing. And then Nintendo sent an update that bricked your console. <laughs> they didn't have to. It was a Wii U. So they were like, they, they couldn't they, they couldn't brick my console because that would have taken out an actual percentage point of the <laughs> overall Wii U. Owner. No, I love the Wii U. I just like to give it crap. Um, so the first game was Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games. It came out in 2007 on the Wii and then 2008 on the DS. And then later in 2008, Sonic joined the Super Smash Brothers roster. 
And hey. that was huge because you could finally settle the debate that we all had as kids of who would win in a fight, right? Like that was always the big thing when like, I don't know if that is still a thing because like now like Fortnite exists. So like you could have Goku fight John Wick. <laughs> it's like, okay, whatever. And like, you know, crossovers are so commonplace now. But back then I remember being like, oh, who would win in a fight? Like RoboCop or Terminator. And it's like, oh, well now you can actually settle that in Mortal Kombat 11. Right. And, uh, but like, nowadays like back then that was a, a big deal and we've actually continued getting uh sonic in those super smash brothers games like you know he was in the wii u 3ds title and he was in ultimate and we've gotten the mario and sonic at the olympic games every two years up until 2020 i don't think there was one in 2022 if i'm not mistaken maybe there was i don't know i mean um, pandemic time it was a yeah. chance they might have <laughs> taken a break so in talking to the former director of marketing at Sega of America from the 90s, Al Nielsen, he was not a fan of this concept. <laughs> and he said, no. uh, he goes, it just goes back to our relationship with Nintendo from the early days. We have battle scars from those days. Personally, I just don't see a world where Sonic and Mario are best buddies. What a, wow. It's just like, he's like the the guy that was like stuck on the, the island in the Pacific during world war two doesn't realize the war's <laughs> over until like decades over. He's like, what do you, what, what do you mean? They don't, we don't make hot, hot consoles anymore. <laughs> so they're hanging out together. It's like, Oh, it's, it's so funny. Cause to me, it's like, you know, the running joke is that corporations like don't really care about video games or the characters as long as it makes money. So like to have that almost like, that's a very personal perspective of like, I remember what they did to us. <laughs> so it's like, if it makes money, I, you would think it would just be like, who cares? They're fake characters. Who cares? It's if they in hang such out? stark contrast now, right? Where it's yeah. like, you know, you see Spider-Man 2 comes out a, a week ago. And I'm sure if you go on Phil Spencer's Twitter account, there's a tweet of him congratulating Sony, right? For putting out an amazing exclusive title. <clears throat> And it just, we've evolved, I think, uh, as at least the game makers have evolved past this notion of like, we need to smack talk our competitors. And maybe the practices are a little bit less shady than they were They're back in the 90s. They're more boring now. <laughs> well, there's, this, there's this acknowledgement that a rising tide lifts all boats now, right? Yeah. It's not like, oh, it's you're taking up space. It's like, no, how do we expand the pie is kind of the the, the shifting of the mindset right back then it was like, Oh, there's this set pie of, of space in the games industry. How do we get more? So they get less. And now I feel like it's like, no, how do we make this pie even bigger? And like, we all get more. It's kind of like the mindset. And I'm sure there are some, some more cutthroat perspectives that are behind the scenes. I we didn't even see anything that bad when all those Xbox, uh, those Xbox emails leaked a couple months ago where it was like, there was some stuff where they were like, oh, well, they're going to have these uh, these exclusive titles. We need to come up with something to counter it or whatever. But like, it wasn't like, how do we really stick it to Sony? You know, it was just kind of like more like what you would expect an executive to talk about. Yeah, it almost feels like as companies and, and executives have gotten more, I guess, friendly, for lack of a better term. Uh, the fans have picked up that competitive ball and have really run with it oh, God, <laughs> in they... some very toxic directions Whoa. of like, well, if they're not going to sling mud at each other, we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> so one last piece on the, uh, the kind of the, the bad blood that has persisted. Uh, I've told this story before, but in that conversation in 2016 with Tom Kalinske, where I asked him about the first time that he saw Sonic on a Nintendo game, 
And uh, he said that he went to E3 2014 and he swung by the Nintendo booth to play Super Smash Brothers for Wii U. And he, he's like, oh, obviously I chose Sonic. And then I asked him if he enjoyed the opportunity to punch Mario in the face as Sonic. And he laughed. And he's like, yeah, right. It was a dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's just a fun like little really anecdote intense. there. It's just like clutching that controller. <laughs> <laughs> just he's not throwing him off the stage because he just wants to inflict more suffering <laughs> they escort him away from the demo they're like please sir you're done it's okay <laughs> so how do you turn the blood on <laughs> <laughs> what's the blood code <laughs> now i mean i will say that like you know both tom kalinsky and al nielsen were delightful human beings when i talked to them i just think these are fun war stories that they have from really being in the trenches trying to challenge the industry leader that was Nintendo because Nintendo was just unchallenged up until the late 90s, really, like uh, aside from Sega. And it's interesting to hear their perspectives of how they kind of tried to fight fire with fire. Nintendo was kind of being cutthroat behind the scenes and Sega was just like, all right, well, we're going to do it out in plain sight and show everybody because that's the attitude that people like these days, uh, showing that like we're going at we're we're coming at the king and we're going to do our best not to miss. And they, they didn't miss for several years there. Yeah. It's always interesting too. I, you see this a lot with like big rivalries and it's like, it's all, it's never the person on top that is like the loudmouth one. It, it, even though they could do it, right. They're it's, the ones with all of it to lose though. That's why. I mean, yeah, but it, you almost think like, well, they could actually say stuff back and they could back it up because they are number one. But I, I mean, it's the old saying of like, number one doesn't talk about number two. Right. Yeah. Or like, it's like, why would we? We're we're on top. <laughs> is it like a lion doesn't concern themselves with the affairs of mice or something like that? Yes. Something like that. I'm sure there's there's animals that are different that are in different sayings, but whatever. Yeah. Um, but you know, thankfully, both the Mario and Sonic franchises have been doing well in the time since those uh that kind of rough stretch of of Sonic games. So Sonic Mania came out in 2017. A lot of people consider that to be one of the best games in the franchise. And uh, Sonic Frontiers came out a year ago. And I think that a lot of people are really optimistic about the future of the Sonic franchise, even though that game was a little rough around the edges. It did some really neat stuff. And, uh, you know, we got Forces that a lot of people were pretty down on. But I think that Frontiers kind of redeemed a lot of what Forces was trying to do. And then meanwhile, on the Mario side, we got Odyssey, Mario Maker 2, and then Bowser's Fury as a part of the Mario 3D World Switch port. So that uh, it's been pretty good to be a, a fan of both Sonic and Mario. Yeah, we, it turns out after all these decades, you're allowed to like both of them. I know we <laughs> couldn't, you couldn't say that in the 90s, like at school, but you could say it now. Yes, now you will not get shoved into a locker by those rabid Mario fans. <laughs> yeah, or those Sonic sickos. The Sonic the, sickos. The Mario maniacs and the Sonic sickos, trying to give them both like an alliteration. Well, I like that. I like that a lot. Go. That's their sports uh, teams. <laughs> <laughs> but that brings us to last week, Marcus, where we got perhaps the biggest indication that these series are just going to be linked forever. Because both Sonic Superstars and Super Mario Brothers Wonder came out the same week. And here are a few of the things that they have in common. So they're both retro-style 2D platformer with modernized visuals and controls. They both have couch co-op uh, to varying degrees of success. And new, never-before-seen powers that are optional to unlock, but you would, you can equip them based on the gameplay experience that you want. So it's just kind of mm-hmm. wild that they had that. And I think most people will agree that Mario Wonder turned out to be the better game. And 
I would I think I would probably agree with that. Yeah, pretty Tom Kalinsky is punching the air somewhere. <laughs> but both games are good representat- representatives for the franchise, right? Like I, I think that a lot of people, yourself included, even though you weren't super high on some aspects of Sonic Superstars, you would agree that it's it's a overall a, a positive Sonic experience. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, like it's 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 what you want at a base level. And uh, I, you know, obviously I love Mario Wonder. You can read my review or listen to it last week on All Things Nintendo. But, you know, we're, we're living in a, a good age for both of these franchises. Definitely uh, Sonic Superstars is light years beyond uh, Sonic 4. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And but even like... It's not even close to Sonic 4, which was the big concern I had, at least when they first announced it. I mean, we're living in like a, a Sonic renaissance, like not, if you include the like stuff like the movies and the recent TV shows and how well those have done for like not even just quality, but like popularity of Sonic. Like we are it, it feels nice to finally be past the sort of like the, the dark ages of Sonic yeah. and we're on a, on a more positive trajectory overall. And by the way, that's another thing that uh, I didn't even mention that the series are linked in that way as well, where Sonic has put out two very successful movies. Mario put out the most one of the most successful animated movies of all time. It's it feels good to be a uh, a Mario and Sonic fan. And then I wrote about this on uh, you know, I, I did one more interview or I guess two more interviews with Nintendo and Sega about this topic. And I asked Takashi Tezuka, who, you know, we've talked about a lot on this podcast recently. You know, you might know him as the producer of the Mario series as a whole, or you might know him as the director of A Link to the Past, Link's Awakening, Yoshi's Island, uh, Super Mario World, just one of the greatest resumes in gaming history. But I asked him about Mario Wonder and Sonic Superstars coming out in the same week. And he said, quote, I think it's an interesting coincidence. We've we've been creating 2D action games for a long time, and we, of course, want as many players as possible to enjoy those games. We're looking forward to as many people as possible having the opportunity to play these 2D side-scrolling games, Mario and otherwise. And then for Sega, I asked Takashi Izuka, very close name um, to Takashi Tezuka, but uh, I asked Takashi Izuka, uh, and he said, quote, it has been a long time since Mario and Sonic released a completely new 2D platform game but I feel something fateful about the fact that they are coming out in the same week. People say that Mario and Sonic are similar, but each has different fun elements. I hope you will play both games this year and experience the difference in this enjoyment. And uh, 2017 was the last time we got both Mario and Sonic games of a similar style. And that was Odyssey and forces, but they were a couple weeks apart from each other. So we'll wrap up here in a second on this particular topic, but hearing all of this, how do you feel about the series being rivals and then also being for some reason, just so linked uh, together, like in their kind of fates, but also like just the ways that like they've mirrored one another over the years. I mean, competition makes everything better, especially for the consumers. So I, I always love that. And as a kid, like you said, it was like the defining video game rivalry. And, you know, as long as you didn't get out of hand with it, it was like a fun rivalry. Cause I liked I grew up with both of them and I recognized the things I liked more about one over the other, but it, it just made it exciting because it gave you two franchises to look forward to instead of just sticking to one, you know, of like, well, I want to see what Sonic's going to do to one up Mario and vice versa. One up Mario. There you go. I, I totally meant that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, it was, it was great for both of them. I think it made both of them better, especially uh, Sega, uh, just because, you know, when you have someone that's nipping at your heels, you, 
kind of forces you to up your game a bit. Um, I'm almost sad now because the the rivalry ended so long ago that there's an entire generation of of kids or probably adults now that weren't exposed to it. So like a lot of people don't even realize that at a time Sonic and Mario were like, no, they were enemies, so to speak. Because, you know, you know, Silly like Sonic's in Smash. He'll probably be in Mario Kart one day, honestly. Oh, I would be surprised if he isn't, right? Yeah, like they're so intertwined in a friendly way, which is great. But there's the part of me that misses that, like, man, you you don't even know, man. These guys were not friends for a long time. It, 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 this is such a big part of their, their, their history. But, you know, and on that note, I was going to ask, uh, how long do you think it'll be before we get the Mario Sonic movie? Like, they have to do that crossover now, right? Well, the directors of the Mario movie said that they would love to do, like, a Super Smash Brothers movie at some point. And obviously, okay. they would have to build out the universe a little bit. But <laughs> the that would be cinematic a universe. <laughs> I mean, there's already rumors that they're looking at ways to do a Zelda uh, movie. I don't know how substantiated those rumors yeah. are. But, like, I would, I'm, I would be shocked. I, I did ask... Uh, Shigeru Miyamoto earlier this year I was like hey what's the next franchise and he was like let's just focus on Mario but yeah we're always thinking yeah. of like what we want to do next but like I, I don't have anything to announce right now the standard right. like boilerplate like let's talk about this movie instead of what's next because we legally cannot announce mm-hmm. this because we have <laughs> partnerships with other people the the smash movie is what will finally get the Metal Gear movie off the ground they're like well we got to get Snake and Smash <laughs> so we need to introduce this character first so let's do it <laughs> That'd be amazing if that's what it took. But yeah, I feel like, I mean, that seems like that's just a bajillion billion dollars sitting on the table is just have uh, Ben Schwartz Mario or Ben Schwartz Sonic hang out with Chris Pratt's Mario on film. God, that would be, yeah, that would print money. It's just a matter of like, at what point is Nintendo ready to acknowledge outside parties in its film division? Because it just started doing that with its gaming division relatively recently, right? Like acknowledging that there are franchises outside of Nintendo <laughs> and properties. Like you can right. even hear that in the way that like I asked uh, Takashi Tezuka about Mario and Sonic releasing. He was like, we hope you enjoy both these, fran- both these games, Mario and otherwise. Like he, he didn't want to say like acknowledge it. And I asked about like, Hey, how does Mario differentiate from, from or how do, how does Nintendo's design level design differentiate from other developers? Like what basically trying to get at like what sets it apart? And his his he started off with, well, I don't have any information about how other developers do things. Yeah, when you asked um, them how they felt about Spider Man Two coming at the same day, they just tilted their head in confusion, <laughs> like Spider what? What is this game that you're talking? About? But yeah, We're Nintendo not- has traditionally not liked to really acknowledge outside developers in their own games and in their own promotion. But like obviously they. They work with other developers. They have third-party developers that do a lot of their stuff. I mean, they've started farming out some of their like flagship franchises, right? Like Capcom made a couple of Zelda games, and Koei Tecmo made Hyrule Warriors, uh, and Omega Force made Hyrule Warriors, and uh, Mario Plus Rabbids was done by Ubisoft. So it's like they've started, I think, being more trusting in like allowing de- other developers to make their games in a more rapid pace i mean even like the uh the crip of the necrodancer developer right. got to make a zelda game which is wild that yeah. that's... also give us a mario musao game i'm waiting for a lego mario mario warriors game. a what like, oh, no. Mar- lego mario oh yeah sure like god that would be so much fun like 
I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm waiting to see who does it first, Mario or Sonic, because uh, Sonic Superstars has the Lego skins, but it's not like a true Lego game. Like, there's a whole series of Lego games, but it's just going to be a race to see who gets that <laughs> the gaming license this first. The, I, the war renews over Lego. <laughs> gets there what first. if that's the first time? Because, like, you know, Sonic was in uh, Lego Dimensions. It's true. I'm wondering if that's the key to getting a Mario and Sonic platforming game. Like, if does does Lego, since they have licensing the bridge, they might be. They legitimately <laughs> might be. Because like, like Miyamoto said in the quote that I read uh, earlier, they didn't want it to be a platforming or an action game because, like, the speed and everything was just a little bit off. Like, there's no way Mario would be able to keep up with Sonic and all this other stuff. But I uh, I could see a Lego game being like hey we want to do this and like licensing them both for the same game that would be huge but that's just pie in the sky stuff marcus we are going to take our only break of this episode and when we get back we're going to dust off the draft we're going to do a draft of uh something related to mario and sonic we will be right back We are back, and we are going to return to a segment that we did for the first time a few episodes ago. It is another All Things Nintendo draft. Since this week was all about Mario and Sonic, we are going to be drafting Mario and Sonic games to create a dream lineup. Marcus, we're going to do not just mainline games. We are going to do pretty much any game that these characters are playable in. So, uh, yeah, we can, the sky's the limit here. So we're okay. going to actually, I'm going to open up a randomizer and it's going to be a serpentine style draft. So just because you don't get the number one pick doesn't mean it's a bad thing because that means you get two and three. So can we say when it's our turn, we can say either a Mario or Sonic game or is it a turn of like you can only pick a oh, Mario? You game? can choose whatever game from any of their libraries. And okay, the I didn't know if we had to have an even number of each. <laughs> no, okay. you, you, you're creating your, your goal is to create the strongest library of Mario and Sonic games possible. Okay. And again, it can be any game that they are playable in. So call it one or two. I'm going to use I'm using a randomizer one. It is two. So and. I am going to actually opt to go second. I'm going to, mm. I'm going to defer to you. You get the first pick, but that means I get two and three. I did not expect this. And then <laughs> you'll get four and five and then I'll get six and seven. So you get after the first pick, everybody will get two in a row at that point. Okay. So you just get, you get the, the, the good part of getting the number one overall pick. And then I will get second and third and then you'll get fourth. So yeah, that's how the, that's how we're going to work it. But Marcus, the board is yours. What is Man, your number one pick? My first pick is so strong and obvious, but if you get too straight, I'm afraid what you're going to counter it with to compete. Is <laughs> uh, I'll say Mario World. Yeah, that's got to be it, right? Yeah, but now I'm afraid of what you're going to retaliate with. <laughs> oh, man. So... It's a it's a tough one, right? Because Mario World, I think, is the obvious pick. That would have been what I went with if I was the number one. And I had my plan for that. <laughs> but, uh. So yeah, Mario World, one of the greatest video games of all time. I've made my love for that game known throughout the history of this podcast. Oh man, so what do I go with? I'm going to go <clears throat> my number one overall pick. I'm going to go... 
Mario 3. Okay. I think that it is a uh, a nice number two to Super Mario World's number one. But that is going to leave me with another strong pick here. I'm going to go Super Mario Odyssey. Oh, okay. That is my favorite 3D Mario game. I uh, I had a blast with it, and I think that it is a worthy successor to the the early 3D Mario games, right? Like the the 64s and the Sunshines. So I went I went traditional here. I, I did not veer off into the spinoffs, but uh, that leaves you your number two pick of the draft. I'll go Mario Galaxy. Okay, that's a good one. I was also considering that. I Mario was afraid. Galaxy, you, I thought you were going to take Galaxy, but you threw Odyssey as a curveball. You're doing Galaxy 1, correct? Galaxy 1. specific. Okay. Yeah. All right. And anything you want to say about that, or you just want to move on to your pick? Uh, I mean, to me, it's the best 3D Mario game ever made. I love the Galaxy game so much. I love Odyssey too, but I, I think I still take Galaxy over it. Uh, okay. So, yeah. So I, I want I have the best in my favorite the best 2D Mario and the best 3D Mario. <laughs> there you go. I mean, hey, we both won in this one. Then I mean, I would have loved to have had World, but I'll take Mario three. It's a good yeah. number two. All right, what's your number uh, three three pick on your board? I'm gonna take Sonic the Hedgehog two. Okay, which, in my opinion, is still the best 2D Sonic. All right. Oh man. Yeah, that's a good one. That is a very that was my introduction to Sonic. I, I got that as a uh, a bundle at BJ's wholesale after my parents accidentally packed away my Super Nintendo when we had to move in with our grandpa with my grandparents for a few months, and oh. uh, they were like, "Oh, well, we took you away from all your friends and also hid away your Nintendo by accident before we moved <laughs> to Florida, of all places." Uh, and so they're like, "Let's go and uh, buy you a new video game system." And I've been wanting a Sonic. Uh, game for a long time so they're like we got a, a sega genesis with echo the dolphin and sonic 2 and i remember loving sonic 2 that's interesting did that make going back to sonic 1 hard but since you didn't know what it was like to not have the spin dash it 100 percent did okay it made it very hard and that's why i i don't really like playing sonic 1 all that much until the sega ages collection or sega ages sorry, i stumbled all over myself there sega ages collection of uh on nintendo switch because that added the spin dash i think that the mobile version did but i didn't pay much attention to that because while christian whitehead did an incredible job with those mobile games it's just hard to play a sonic game on mobile but um yeah. you know the everything after that anytime kind of re-release of sonic one added the spin dash and it makes it so much more playable sega oh, yeah. ages uh sonic origins added the spin dash if you play in like the uh, anniversary mode. So yeah, hundred percent need the spin dash in order to enjoy Sonic one at this point, but let's go. I have two choices now. Oh boy. I'm going to do the first spinoff title of this draft. And that is super smash brothers ultimate. Oh, okay. Hmm. So that, you know, has both our boys in it, right? Mario and Sonic are both <laughs> in that game. Oh man, there's so many good games. There's so many good games that I can choose from. Like this is the opposite problem of some drafts where it's like you start getting to the end and it's like bottom of the barrel. Like, all right, well, I guess this game. I guess this but, kid from this no-name school can come Yeah, man. Like there are going to be so many certified bangers left on the board after we wrap up here. I got to do it. I'm going to do... Uh... Do I got to do it? That's the other question. Man. I'll do Sonic 3 and Knuckles. Okay. I can live with that. 
There were several Sonic games that I was considering, but I ultimately went with Sonic 3 and Knuckles. I think that's a uh, I think that's the best 2D Sonic game. Hmm. I think it's the best Sonic game overall, personally, but I know you think it's Sonic 2. So you get your last two picks in a row here. So how are you feeling about these having two more slots on the board? I can't steal any from you. How, what's your mindset going into this? So I have one that I, I have ready, and now I'm, I'm contemplating the last one. Uh, it's hard, right? You start, yeah. you start thinking about like, oh, that means I won't get that. That means I won't get that. Yeah, I wasn't even the... thinking about it from the perspective of you stealing something because I'm like, well, if you steal one of the ones I'm thinking of, that'll make my choice a lot easier. So right. I don't <laughs> – I'm actually kind of hopeful you'll steal one of them because I don't want some of these not represented on the board. Okay, so my first like one that I already have in mind is uh, Mario Kart 8. That's a great one. Best Mario Kart ever. Do you want for Lux, I'm assuming? Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess technically deluxe. (laughs) If we're we're gonna specify, yeah, that game's amazing, so good. To the point where I don't don't know what Mario Kart 9 looks like. I have no idea how they top that. It is Uh, the same problem that uh, Smash Ultimate has, where it's like, where do they go from here? It's like, you peaked, you peaked, guys. God, now this is hard. Okay. <sighs> Mario has so many spinoffs and a lot of them are good. Uh, you know, I'm going to go. I almost want to cheat because I don't want to pick something that I know is good that I haven't played or finished. Where I was like, I know people love this game. If I was like doing this for people, I would pick some stuff. But I, I personally haven't played some stuff. Uh, oh, why is this hard? <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> you know what? I'll go with Sonic Mania. Oh, that was one of the ones I was considering. So oh, that's a good pick. It was, oh man, that was so much fun when that came out. There were a couple things that like felt like a little antiquated in terms of like, all right, it has like the live system. Some of the, the bosses were a little difficult, but that rivals... Sonic 3 and Knuckles and Sonic 2 is like the best 2D Sonic game. And I never thought a game would be able to do that. And there it was 15 years after the fact doing just that. Yeah. Amazing. More than 15 15 years ago. That was 25 years after the fact. Yeah. Wow. uh, Yeah. I I love that game. Again, it was the the first time in a long time that I smiled consistently throughout a new Sonic game and I wasn't frustrated or or not even frustrated because I think I had moved beyond frustration I was just kind of like resigned to like yeah this is just what this series is now it's just not as good as I want it to be and I was like oh no we're back we did it (laughs) (laughs) it's happening it felt like the the great resurgence of the Sonic franchise what started with Sonic Mania right as a non-sports fan, I imagine this is what it's like when you have a team that goes like decades without winning like the world championship and then they do it. You, you, like you've just accepted that they're losers basically, <laughs> but you still love them. And then they they finally break that glass and you're like, oh my God, we, we it was possible this whole time. I remember when, and we'll get to my final pick in a second, but like that was kind of how I felt when like – you know, I have no skin in the game when it comes to Sonic. Aside from being a massive fan, you can see my new addition in the background here. I noticed here. that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I have no skin in the game in terms of like Sonic's success or failure, aside from just being a lifelong fan. And Sonic Mania was so heartening to me of like, oh, man, this is exactly what I want from a Sonic game. And then I remember when the movie version of Sonic leaked. And then we got that first trailer with the terrible design. <laughs> I wasn't even like angry like a lot of people were. I was just like profoundly sad. 
And I was you just like mad. You were disappointed. I really was. It was no. like the, the, the really the epitome of that where I was just like, man, like this franchise just can't get like a win. Like or it like just sustained can't. momentum of like, we have this win with Sonic mania. And then it's like, Oh, you've like brought back down to earth a little really, bit. It, it did feel that way. And I was just like, man, we just, we really just can't have nice things is how it felt. And then thankfully, like they redesigned it and they ended up, you know, putting out a pretty good movie. So I was, I was really happy and I'm, I'm glad that they've, they've turned it around so much. I guess that's the moral of the story here. Uh, my final pick, I've bouncing around a few. I thought about maybe Mario 64 for its historical significance, maybe even the original Mario for its historical significance. I considered Galaxy 2. I considered 3D World. But ultimately, I'm going to land on Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Oh. Rounded out with the latest and greatest, right? So just recapping it, I have Super Mario Brothers 3, Super Mario Odyssey, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, Sonic 3 and Knuckles, and Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Marcus, you have Super Mario World, Super Mario Galaxy, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, and Sonic Mania. I don't think either of us lose in this scenario. Like, I think we both have absolute just hit after hit after hit. And if we flip-flopped these lists, would you be upset if that was your list like if you if you had mario 3 odyssey smash ultimate sonic 3 and knuckles and mario wonder would you be like upset if that was the list that you ended up on i mean no outside of like personal like nostalgia of like hi oh, i would miss world but i love all of those games and i haven't really played wonder yet so that one's like tbd but like everything else i i love and have like extreme fondness for so like you said there are no losers here but that shouldn't discourage people in the comments letting us know who won. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Marcus, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of All Things Nintendo. I think it was a fun one. Yeah, it's a good, good trip down memory lane. Like I said, one of my, like, still maybe the defining video game rivalry ever, right? It absolutely is. And I think that when people think of a video game rivalry, that is what they immediately think of. Uh, it was Sega, it was Nintendo, it was Sonic, it was Mario. And I think we covered a lot of ground in that regard, especially on the heels of both of those franchises getting kind of similar concept games. So yeah. uh, thanks for joining me. And especially considering you were the Sonic Superstars reviewer and I was the Mario Wonder reviewer for Game Informer. So serendipitous in that way. So you won. In the battle of reviews. <laughs> in the reviews and in the draft, I think. But uh no, I, I honestly I would not be upset if I got your draft board on it yeah. either. So I, you know, we should stress too because we've referenced it quite a few times in this uh this episode. Uh if you haven't read it yet, read Console Wars. Great book. Love it. One of it my really favorite is. video game like history, I guess, books. There's also an episode of uh God, what was the Netflix documentary? Was it it was was it Insert Coin? Uh I think that's what it was called. I know what you're talking about. There is an episode where they have Tom Kalinske on there talking about the console wars and his plan to uh, very, very compelling stuff. It was just a deeper conversation of the one that I had. Because the one I had with him that I referenced several times in this podcast was a uh, a broader conversation about the history of the Sonic franchise. And, you know, we just kind of peppered in, a, I peppered in a couple of questions regarding the uh, console wars as well, because of course you're going to, um, but yeah, he, he knows his stuff. He's extremely intelligent as you would imagine, you know, he studied at Harvard business and uh, I, I forget where he got his like 
yeah, but he's he's a uh, he's extremely smart, extremely well spoken. He he knows his stuff and he lays it out perfectly in that Netflix uh, miniseries documentary. So go check that out as well. Console Wars, an incredible book. Are they um, still doing that movie? They were going to make a uh, a movie so. of the book with Seth Rogen and was it Judd Apatow that was going to direct it? But then Seth Rogen got distracted at playing Donkey Kong, uh, directing and and creating a Ninja Turtles movie and producing a uh, meme stock uh, movie. So I think he uh, he got yeah. I hope they do that. Plate. Yeah, it was supposed to be like a dramatization of the book. So, I mean, well, I guess TBD on that. I but. think Peacock put out a the, – the NBC streaming service did put out a TV version of the console wars, like an adaptation of that that book. Was that that the same project know. you think? Oh, okay, I was like, is that what it wound up turning into? And I just – it was it just flew under the radar? <laughs> uh, let's see here. For, this is like – yeah, CBS. So it might be Paramount+. Plus. Okay. Um, it's called Console Wars, CBS All Access, which I think might now just be on uh, Paramount Plus. Which worst streaming platform ever? I will say that right now. As somebody <laughs> who is trying to watch a series on uh, Paramount Plus, worst streaming platform, yeah, and not just because it has the Halo show on it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've rambled on at the tail end of this show enough. Marcus, thanks again for joining me. Thank you for having me. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. Do me a favor. If you haven't already, throw All Things Nintendo a five-star review and hit that subscribe button. If you want to get any questions or comments in, you can email me at allthingsnintendo at gameinformer.com or hit me up on social media at Brian Pichet. Also, we're going to be doing a, Q- a Q&A episode in the near future. So be sure to get any questions, topics, rants, feedback, whatever in for that episode. Uh, You can also join the Game Informer Community Discord, which is a perk for subscribing to our Twitch channel, even just for one month. Marcus, tell everyone where they can find you on the World Wide Web. I am on Twitter and Blue Sky at MarcusStewart7. That is our show for this week. Thank you all again so much for listening. Take care. We will see you next time.